4: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Yesterday, in a hastily scheduled hearing of the January 6th committee, former White House Chief of Staff aide Cassidy Hutchinson related a series of conversations about what Donald Trump did and knew on Jan 6th. According to her testimony, he knew his supporters were armed, wanted them to go to the Capitol. He tried to join them and he refused to do anything to stop them, despite knowing they were armed, dangerous and searching for legislators and even his own vice president, Mike Pence. We'll discuss Hutchinson's testimony in the context of the rest of the January 6th hearings and the broader assault on our democratic processes. That's coming up next after this news. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. As the 2020 election rolled towards its conclusion, Republican operatives across the country were preparing to win by changing the rules on how votes would be counted. But as their plans faltered on the integrity of some election officials, a darker plan emerged. It culminated in the January 6th riot that followed Donald Trump's rally nearby in Washington, D.C., Many of Donald Trump's supporters have denied that Trump was responsible for the bloodshed at the Capitol, setting up cascading lines of defense about what Trump supposedly did not know or condone. These excuses always felt improbable, but Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, drawn from her time as a young Republican aide deep inside the White House, contradicts the idea that Donald Trump did not know the Capitol riders were armed and intending to stop the certification of the election by force. Here to talk about Hutchinson's testimony and the effect it may or may not have on the hearings and the country, we're joined by Nicholas Wu, a reporter covering Congress with Politico. Welcome, Nicholas. Thanks so much for having me. Amy Allison, founder of She the People, an organization elevating the political voice of women of color. Welcome, Amy. Thank you very much. Glad to have you back. And Ankush Kadori, a lawyer based in Washington and also a contributing writer for New York Magazine's Intelligencer and a contributing editor at Political Magazine. Welcome, Ankush. Thank you for having me. So let's start with you, Nick. I mean, this was a hastily called hearing. It's not exactly clear why that is, but it was quite dramatic and kind of the first surprise witness since Watergate. Can you talk to us a little bit about how this set up, uh, at least as political theater?
2: Well, this hearing came as an absolute surprise to reporters. As as was previously mentioned, Congress is out this week. Uh, Most members aren't in town. And so uh, the committee gave gave about 24 hours notice um, for this hearing, which kept a lot of Washington guessing over who the witness could be. Um, That leaked out overnight. And then we saw uh, uh, this explosive testimony from Cassidy Hutchinson um, uh, in the afternoon. And so uh it's rare that secrets like this are co- so closely held in washington and and the committee um promised big revelations and it seems that they delivered
4: so tell us a little bit about for people who weren't watching the hearings or you know haven't sort of dug into who cassidy. Hutchinson is, you know, it's not a name that has come up in the way that many other uh, people in the sort of Trump extended universe have. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what her role was and why she may or may have been in position to hear these conversations? So,
2: Cassidy Hutchinson was basically the right hand
4: to Mark Meadows in the White
2: House, uh, the 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 chief of staff uh, towards the end of the Trump administration, and. In that position, she was basically in a spot to be in and around the room where it happened, and to be part of these conversations um, during these crucial machinations uh, at the end of Trump's presidency. And so, while she is a you know, relatively young and, and uh, you know figure, and definitely not a household name prior to yesterday, I mean, clearly um, she was someone who was willing to take the stand under oath and 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 talk um, to the world. Uh, about what she saw uh, on January 6th and in the lead-up to it.
4: Yeah, Uh, Ankush, let's come to you. You know, there's a lot of different objectives to these hearings. But from a legal perspective, what are the big outstanding questions that you went into this hearing wanting to know or thought that this kind of testimony could help resolve?
5: Well, I think the foremost... um, sort of theory, if you will, that Hutchinson's testimony advanced or attempted to advance was that Trump um, was aware of and crucially intended to uh, foment violence outside of the Capitol. That is like what the intended takeaway was. And we can talk about how powerful Hutchinson's testimony was on that point, what sorts of um, ambiguities there were surrounding certain discrete pieces of it. But to the extent that the committee has sort of laid out this, you know, very, expansive, what Cheney described as sort of a seven-point sophisticated plan that they were going to lay out over the course of these hearings, um, Hutchinson's was about kind of this this particular aspect of these multiple theories that the committee is pursuing, this one uh, being the violence.
4: I mean, and it sounds like you're a little bit skeptical that it nailed down that piece of of the case.
5: Yeah, I mean, I'm not—I not, I, I just am trying— as i hear all of this testimony come in just trying to put on my sort of skeptics hat if you will so i think that the kind of most salacious if you will takeaway had to do with to me at least trump insisting that armed people be allowed to attend uh his speech uh before they eventually headed on to the capitol trump intended wanted to go but eventually was prevented from going to the Capitol. But Um, that drew a lot of attention and rightly so Hutchinson recalled that, um, Trump basically said, you know, they're not here to hurt me, let them in, let them in. And there's one way to interpret that comment, which is that Trump is an extremely reckless narcissist allowing, uh, people to come in armed because he wants to increase the size of his crowd. In fact, that is what Hutchinson said she thought was likely motivating his comments, Her testimony, however, I think has been interpreted as by a lot of people, and I think kind of intentionally, to be honest, this was the the implication, deliberate implication by Cheney and the committee as indicating that um, Trump actually wanted armed people in the crowd so that they could proceed to the Capitol and participate in a potential armed siege of the Capitol. And you can interpret it that way, right? People are allowed to draw inferences, use their circumstantial evidence to kind of plug gaps in our knowledge and, and the like. Um, but it is there's a big difference between those two scenarios. And I, and I honestly don't think it's being aired out as
4: thoughtfully as it should be. You know, let's hear let's listen into the cut so that uh, people can get the full uh, context for themselves. This is when Cassidy Hutchinson's talking about Trump's concern that the crowd at the rally would look too small and blaming security and the, the, the mags that you're going to hear in this cut. Those basically are, you know, uh, metal detectors screened for weapons. He
3: wanted it to be full and for people to not feel excluded because they'd come far to watch him at the rally. Um, and he felt the mags were at fault for not letting everybody in. But another leading reason, and likely the primary reason is because he wanted it full and he was angry at, that we weren't letting people through the mags with weapons. What the Secret Service seems as weapons and our weapons. <laughs> but when we were in the offstage announced tent, I was part of a conversation I was in the I was in the vicinity of a conversation where I overheard the president say something to the effect of, "You know, I I don't effing care that they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing mags away. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. Let the people in."
4: So just you know, having just listened back to that uh, directly, I mean, you're you're right that there's maybe some step missing there. It, it comes down to a lot of maybe even the precise uh, where the emphasis was laid in what Donald Trump said They're you know, they're not here to hurt me or, you know, they're not here to hurt anyone kind of in, in that sense, but it's a pretty small step, right? I mean, we, she's saying that he knew they were armed and knew they would go on to the Capitol. Are we, are we like splitting hairs too finely here?
5: Well, uh, I don't think so. I mean, Look, people. But by the same token, people are, are free to say this is one piece of information that is part of a broader mosaic, right? And so, to, to to interpret this one comment in isolation is maybe myopic, right? So, people can and should, you know, integrate it into their fuller understanding, which is hard to do in real time. I don't think it's splitting hairs because, for, for a couple of reasons, one, there's a, vi- I'm don't, not to repeat myself, but there's just a very big difference between someone saying. Running a risk with their own safety uh, because they want to increase the size of the audience that they're speaking to, and Trump has a very well known mm-hmm. predilection for incre- you know, for, for crowd sizes, or potentially maybe the crowd size comment was a pretext, and he deliberately wanted people in the audience so that they could proceed onto the Capitol and lay siege to the Capitol. I, I mean, it is a small step, but a material step, and a material mm-hmm. discrepancy between the two. And by the way. Um, I have to say you know the questions at a at a proceeding like this are cho- are chosen carefully and this committee had spoken to Hutchinson on several occasions before yesterday I don't want to be you know again like sort of overly skeptical but I do find it curious that Cheney just didn't straight up ask her mm-hmm. why what she thought Trump's intention was or or more to the point do you think Trump deliberately wanted people in so that they could then proceed to the Capitol and that that was his intention, right? And then Hutchinson could have said, yes, no, I don't know, but I can pretty much guarantee you that at some point during the multiple uh, interviews that preceded yesterday, someone asked her that question. Mm -hmm. My guess, and it is only a guess, my guess is the answer was not as damning as they would have liked, or we would have heard that Q&A repeated yesterday.
4: Amy Allison, founder of She the People, you know, we've been focusing on some of the legal issues here, but what's important for you to get out of these hearings? Is it potential prosecutions just shining a light on what happened, like reaching people outside of the media bubble who listen to shows like Forum who are probably well acquainted with the issues we're talking about here?
1: Well, let's not get lost uh, in the forest for the trees because yesterday's testimony gave damning proof of sedition. It's worth us re revisiting the actual definition of what sedition is. It's the act of a person forcefully trying to overthrow, take down, hinder, or delay the government or its laws through words or speech. What Cassidy Hutchinson, uh, her witness, uh, really pointed to was the picture of uh, Trump um, as a seditious and, uh, uh, and, and criminal uh, president. and uh, the picture of a mad king, someone was unhinged. And really laid out uh, legal, moral, and political case that uh, we must not only recognize his acts as seditious, but but um, really laying out the case that we have to act appropriately. I mean, this isn't the time for us to um, you you know really focus on just the narcissism or the personality of Trump. It's time, and this testimony really points to you know now that we've heard. Uh, Cassidy Hutchinson really account, you know, uh, recount what she could in terms of what she saw and the impact of those. We have to acknowledge that sedition is a very serious offense, one of the most serious, um, and that uh, the purpose of Trump's actions was, uh, in fact, to uh, hinder overthrow, take down uh, the government or laws through words or speech. That's what we're dealing with now and that's what yesterday's testimony pointed to.
4: We're talking about the latest news from the House committee hearings on the January 6th attack on the Capitol with Amy Allison, founder of She the People, an organization elevating the political voice of women of color. Ankush Kadori, a lawyer based in Washington, has been writing a lot about this. And Nicholas Wu, a reporter covering Congress for Politico. And we do want to hear from you. What questions do you have about Hutchinson's testimony during the January 6th hearings? The numbers is 866-733-6786. Stay tuned for more after the break. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the latest news from the House committee hearings on the January 6th attack on the Capitol with Nicholas Wu, reporter covering Congress with Politico, Amy Allison, founder of She the People, and Ankush Kodori, a lawyer based in Washington, who's a contributing writer for New York Magazine's Intelligencer, has a new piece out on Hutchinson's testimony if you want to check that out. Also contributing editor at Political Magazine. Uh, Phone lines are lighting up. We do want to hear from you what questions you have about the testimony Uh, that we heard yesterday in the hearings. The number is 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQED Forum. And of course, you know the email, it's forum at kqed.org. I want to get a little bit deeper into some of Cassidy Hutchinson, Mark Meadows' chief of staff, uh, Mark Meadows' aide, um, Trump's chief of staff aide, um, particularly around Donald Trump's desire to join the um, the mob growing at the at the Capitol. Let's uh, listen into her testimony on that.
3: The president said something to the effect of, "I'm the effing president. Take me up to the Capitol now." To which Bobby responded, "Sir, we have to go back to the West Wing." The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, Sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engel. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles.
4: Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Wu, reporter covering Congress. The, this clip is probably the, the, the most most played clip from the from the testimony. Um, what do we know about how people have been responding to the, the kind of pushback on this particular piece of testimony? This allegation out of uh, all the others aired yesterday seems to
2: have generated the most pushback from uh, Republicans in particular, who've called it hearsay and have uh, accused Hutchinson of uh, uh, um, not telling the truth. Um, But we'll have to see exactly how the committee tries to corroborate this narrative. I mean, when the committee has made similarly explosive allegations before, they've been able to back it up with the goods. And Hutchinson, we we have to remember, was under oath when she delivered this testimony. Um, But as we're reporting right now, Uh, The Secret Service is actually saying that in the 10 days before this hearing, the committee did not reach out to them for more details about uh, this altercation in the president's limousine, uh, which is nicknamed the Beast. And so um, there's a number of people who would be able to speak to this. Uh, Robert Engel, for example, who is the head of Trump's uh, uh, security detail. Uh, We know that he's gone in with the committee before and has um, uh, given them testimony. And and we, we might see... A circumstance in which the committee decides to bring him back for additional testimony. We've seen them do that with other witnesses before. And so um, uh, you know, the committee, committee investigators have stressed that they're, they're welcoming anyone um, to come before them and provide testimony and the Secret Service has made clear that they're, uh, that they would okay um, their personnel going in with the committee um, without a subpoena, and so we'll have to wait and see exactly how this plays out but uh, you're you're very right. this is definitely one of the most explosive allegations from uh, Tuesday's hearing.
4: You know Ankush uh, uh, Kadori, you know on a grabbing the wheel is obviously cinematic and it has you know that kind of allegation of going after your own security you know that that gives that mad king feel that Amy Allison was talking about earlier. As a as a legal matter, though, grab the wheel or just saying you want to go, kind of the same thing, right? I mean, there's not too much difference uh, there on a legal basis, or is there? Um,
5: you're right. <laughs> uh, you're right. Also, in terms of the man's temperate temperament, we also obviously we heard the testimony about how he throws his food at the walls when he hears things he doesn't like in the in the West Wing. Um, but on that particular point. Um, yeah. I mean, one way to look at it, and a lot of people did, I think, say, okay, this is assault, right? Particularly the testimony about he lunched or whatever. Hutchinson made very clear she was not present for this. Yeah, and this, She was recounting something else that she heard, um, which is hearsay. Um, but um, in terms of like kind of the legal significance of it, ordinarily, like you can't lunge at people, right? Even if you don't make contact, you can't lunge at people. It's assault. Um in this instance, it's a little complicated by the fact that this is Trump's security detail, and he is the president. So if you wanted to put yourself – in, and please, nobody shoot the messenger here. But if you wanted to put the most charitable gloss on what happened, he's kind of resisting what he thinks is – or he may even regard as kind of being kidnapped, if you will, right? Or being like kind of accosted and taken somewhere against his will and against his authority.
4: Right, right. And she – in other ways, Hutchinson makes clear that the president wanted to go to the Capitol and his security detail was saying it wasn't safe. And there's there's a larger context uh, to this. Um, I, we have a caller, Corey, in San Francisco, who wanted to uh, respond to something you said, I think, on Kush. Yes, Corey.
6: Yeah, uh, your your skeptical guest is
1: being very uh, generous in his skepticism. Um, you have a president who. One, knew the crowd was armed, we, that's, that's clear, and two, said he didn't care and that they should march to the Capitol and then invited them to march to the Capitol in his
6: speech. So we have him publicly telling them to march to the Capitol after he told them he, did, he didn't care they were armed. So he knew they were armed,
1: told them to march to the Capitol. How is that not... <laughs> telling a, a mob, an armed mob to march in the Capitol. I don't think his crowd size justification works for that.
4: Or why not well, both? Let me, oh, <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Or let me, let
5: me put it, can I, can I put it slightly differently? Uh, or like so slightly reframe sure, sure. the question yeah, yeah, here, because yeah. part of the problem that that reflect, question reflects is she has fully adopted the framing that the committee chose to present yesterday. I think the committee has done an excellent job, but they are picking and choosing which facts they want to present and in what order and how prominently. So let's just take a big step back here. If Trump wanted there to be an armed siege of the Capitol, someone should testify to that before we all go around assuming that the case has been established. And by the way, we have heard no testimony yet. It's supposed to be the, the subject of further hearings indicating that Trump told anyone not to prepare responsibly, any of his cabinet officials or the federal agencies, not to prepare for January 6th, that he overruled any plan for security at the Capitol, either in the run-up to or on January 6th itself, that he refused to approve any sort of security response the afternoon of January 6th, all things that would not be necessary to, like, establishing Trump's malicious intent, but If you are investigating someone and your hypothesis is that they deliberately planted a mob somewhere and that person happens to supervise the people in charge of security, the facts that were just laid out by the caller would not be the end of any responsible investigation. I'm sorry.
1: Let me me, um, jump in, Alex, if I can. Sure. Amy Allison, go ahead. Listen, let's take even further step back. The testimony we heard from uh, Cassidy Hutchinson yesterday about Trump grabbing the wheel, uh, really take the step back and see what he was trying to do, his intent. What he wanted to do, and we heard the testimony, is he wanted to lead the armed mob that stormed the Capitol. He wanted to be there. He'd, uh, there, were co- there was conversation and testimony about him wanting to go into the floor of the House of Representatives. Uh, that's what he'd intended. And if it if it wasn't for uh, his security detail, perhaps that's that's the it's not even just a scene. that's the the intent. Now what would a it was not a regular like an ordinary citizen. he's the sitting president of the United States at that time. You know, and that testimony yesterday gave proof that both uh, Trump as president understood. Uh, that his supporters were armed, he encouraged the armed mob to go to the capital. He rallied popular support supposedly in the name of people, but he was at, he was willing to do anything to vie for absolute rule. We know what that looks like. other countries have had this. That's fascism. And so it's time for us here in in in, in this country to recognize what it is um, and not justify it. And I really think, the the question for us as a people, as an American people is, what are we going to do in the face of sedition? What's the appropriate response? And how do we reestablish the political norms and cultural democratic norms in the face of what we heard yesterday, in the face of what we actually witnessed, all of us witnessed in January 6th?
4: Yeah. You know, I think the only, I wanted to add a little bit of uh, context myself here. I mean, We've had uh, Barton Gelman on the show, uh, Atlantic investigative journalist. And it was pretty clear that there were many even if it wasn't Trump himself. There were many people within the Republican kind of apparatus who understood disrupting the certification of the election on January 6th as a really significant thing to do. Like just that actually stopping that could had could have had meaningful consequences for the other things that they were trying to get done. And and I think you know, that To me, that is where this violence and where sending people to the Capitol really ha- has a lot of uh, significance. Um, Nicholas Wood, do you get the, the sense that these hearings are changing things for the people in Congress that you report on? It's a little soon to say how exactly this is changing things in
2: Congress, uh, but it is worth remembering that the attack itself changed how Congress uh, operates entirely. It broke down a lot of the, uh, um, uh, of the bipartisan uh, 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 relations that have been made between Republicans and Democrats. And and remember we had, um, there was a time when uh, Democrats would refuse to even co-sponsor bills with some Republicans who had objected to the election results. But moving forward from that, I mean, and the, the revelations that are produced by this committee are fairly damning too for Republican members of Congress. Right, we've seen uh, witnesses testify to the fact that uh, Republican members of Congress sought pardons after January six. We've we've seen uh, Republican members of Congress uh, implicated in the false electors scheme, um, and so uh, in a chamber where you know, bipartisan relations are already at an all time low. Uh, 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 there could be quite a, a long tail end of an uh, effect from um, these hearings.
4: Yeah. Um, let's bring in another caller. Dan from Santa Clara. Welcome to the show.
0: Yeah. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, by a quick comment, I think the your attorney there is pushing back upon the idea that this conclusive proof. And if not, it's persuasive and compelling testimony put, that's the distinction going on here. I believe Mrs. Hutchinson. That's what persuasive and compelling means. Other may not. My question is, presuming that Mrs. Hutchinson's testimony is essentially truthful. And that's a big presumption at this point. But we took a big step towards that presumption with her testimony. Uh, now what we have is the President of the United States attempting to lead an armed mob to the Capitol. And some people have said, within the Capitol. Huh? That's a BFD. I would like to hear your uh, responses from your people there. Thank you.
4: Yeah, thank you, Dan. Um, let's. Uh, we, we will. We will get to this. Um, but I do want to talk about the difference between what the, the hearings that we're seeing or the relationship between the hearings that we're seeing and a prospective, you know, DOJ Department of Justice investigation into this. Um, Ankush Kadori, wh- wh- what do you think? I mean, it's a little bit unusual, right? I mean, normally we would have had a, the, in a, a criminal investigation go forward before we would have had hearings. So how, how do you see these two things playing out? And did yesterday change anything in the relationship between these uh, investigations?
5: Yeah, you know, the Justice Department's investigation remains a bit of a, a, a black box. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> there have been some developments in the last week or so. Uh, the raid of Jeffrey Clark's home, former Trump DOJ, Uh, lawyer, the one who was supposed to be, you know, potentially the acting attorney general. We heard about that prior week Um, and the seizure of John Eastman's phone. um, One of the architects, if you will, of the sort of quasi legal strategy. I mean, that even is charitable to to what what they were (laughs) undertaking. Um, So uh, it's unclear to, you know, just from the outside, whether and to what extent this is informing or motivating the justice department to move uh, in certain directions or more expeditiously, to the point that you know, uh, all of this is concerning information that should be relevant to a, a serious criminal investigation, I fully agree. DOJ should have opened this investigation. They should have been investigating at the highest levels of the Trump White House, the Trump campaign, those people who are informally and closely associated with Trump. That investigation should have begun if not the day Biden took office and the day Merrick Garland took office as the attorney general in March of last year. It didn't happen so far as we can tell. Something has happened in its place, the contours of which are only sort of now still coming into focus. But um, I share everyone's revulsion at the details that we're hearing. As a political matter, it's utterly damning. The man is totally, totally morally, temperamentally unfit. He was unfit. He has no business being the president again. I am trying to just focus on the legal ins and outs of what we've heard and the additive quality of what we heard yesterday
4: um, amy allison you know you you've put the question to us you know in your view this sedition and what are we going to do about it um there's there's the hearings that's one thing that's going on there's this doj investigation that's one thing that's going on but what about for people who aren't in the government like for in, in your position what's the answer to that question to what are we going to do about it
1: um We have to establish, reestablish political norms. And when I say democratic cultural norms, I mean uh, exactly uh, what we heard from but like how, what is the temperament and practice and behavior of those of us in our, those who are elected um, and appointed leaders. We have to reestablish that because the Trump administration blew up those established norms. And um, what, you know, the question of how we're going to recognize uh, this, you know, criminal acts of sedition and appropriately respond um, and even respond to acts of conscience, as d- displayed by Cassidy yesterday in the hearing, where people are coming forward and, and doing what they can on behalf of, you know, service to this country and um, adherence to constitution and democratic uh, and, and that kind of democratic principles. So, you know, I think right now we have uh, a huge task ahead of us. I agree we should have had uh, you know, investigations at the highest level that started much earlier, a Justice Department uh, investigation much earlier, uh, but now we have a year out, uh, these revelations about what happened. But we also have um, not only uh, Trump's behavior, but a whole opposition party, the Republicans, with a couple of exceptions like Liz Cheney, uh, who had a key role yesterday in the, yesterday's hearing, um, that have refused to participate in the investigation of the insurrection. The Republicans' refusal has extended an, um, the time frame in terms of getting to the bottom of what happened. We have elected members of the government, as it was mentioned earlier, in Congress still in power after openly, vocally supporting a violent insurrection. So I think that's where Um, Average everyday citizens need to uh, demand uh, accountability, legal accountability, not only for Trump, but for those who went along with his criminality and his sedition. And I think for regular people, we want to see a Justice Department have swift and decisive action as a response to these revelations.
4: We're talking about the latest uh, edition of the House Committee hearings on the January 6th attack on the Capitol with Amy Allison, founder of She the People. Nicholas Wu, a reporter covering Congress for Politico, and Ankush Kadori, a lawyer based in Washington, D.C., also contributing writer for New York Magazine's Intelligencer and a contributing editor at Political Magazine. We would like to hear from you. What were your reactions to the revelations and what do you think should happen next? And Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. 6786, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or kqd Forum, or you can email forum at kqed.org. I'm going to try and get to more of your comments and questions right after the break. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
4: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the House Committee hearings on the January 6th attack on the Capitol with Ankush Kadori, lawyer based in Washington, contributing writer at New York Mag's Intelligencer. Uh, Amy Allison, founder of She the People, and Nicholas Wu, reporter covering Congress for Politico. A uh, couple of listener comments. Uh, one listener writes... The select committee is so careful and deliberate that the reasons for this surprise session are calculated. They don't want to lose steam and their audience lighting a fire under Merrick Garland is an important factor. It's time to start legal proceedings against these seditious politicians. Yesterday was not so much shocking as confirmation of what we know of Trump and what he did and continues to do to undermine our democracy. Uh, Valerie writes, uh, I disagree with your guest who wondered why Cassidy Hutchinson wasn't simply asked her opinion of what Trump's intention was. An opinion is not evidence. This is a very young and vulnerable person who would have been torn apart for even expressing an opinion. Typically right that she was not asked her opinion, but rather was asked to present the facts of what she saw and heard during that week leading up to January 6th. Um, Let's bring in uh, Wynne from Menlo Park. Welcome, Wynne.
2: Thank you. Um, I believe this woman has total credibility for a very simple reason. She's young. She moved up through the Republican administration
0: into one of the highest jobs in the White House. She is under oath, as one of your guests said. Why in heaven's name would she create any opportunity for
2: her to be found wanting in her testimony? Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah. And I think... Uh, you know, Nicholas Wu, come to you on this one. It does seem like she, generally speaking, was received as a, as a credible witness. Obviously, there were some attacks on her credibility by people you might expect. But but by and large, she wasn't seen as, as having a, a particular axe to grind or, or those things.
2: Yes, I mean, we, we got to remember that uh, Hutchinson was under oath when she gave this testimony. It, it, you know, There are there are consequences if, if you if you lie. Uh, in in sworn testimony. And uh, the the committee took pains to really show quite how well positioned she was to know and to to be in the loop for everything. So, uh, you know, um, I was in the hearing room yesterday at the beginning of the presentation uh, of the hearing. um, The committee put graphics up on screen showing where exactly her office was, for example, right? Showing that she was directly next to the chief of staff's office and she was down the hall um, from the president's office, the Oval Office. And, and they they highlighted how, um, you know, despite the fact that she was relatively young, uh, uh, she had um, fairly close ties to top Republican lawmakers. You know, we got to remember that uh, the Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, uh, called her on January 6th, trying to get her to talk the president down from coming to the Capitol, right? Um, and so uh, it, it seems that uh, there, there are... Quibbles around the edges with the, with some of her testimony, but um, uh, she she did present herself as a credible witness.
4: Yeah. Uh, more uh, listener comments uh, coming in. Uh, Curtis writes: the destabilizing of our democracy has already occurred. The GOP is moving away from constitutional norms and installing their own sets of rules. We're now halfway to fascism and passively letting it happen. Amy Allison, you know you're in touch with a lot of uh, different progressive and, and democratic orgs. I'm sure there. I see this a lot, like this kind of come when we do shows on on these things that uh, you know that we're quote unquote passively letting it it happen. If in in your view is that true, or are people working to counter the the these kinds of actions and just not succeeding?
1: No, um, you know, in my work with She the People, we work with women of color who are. Uh, you know, organizing voters on the ground or or leading movements. And, and we have a huge task. And Remember, we're only a few months away from the midterm elections. This is our task, reestablish faith, faith in our constitutional government. You know, we have some people um, who uh, have said just vote and vote. Voting is very important. It is one of our duties as a citizen in this country. It is not the only one. Uh, we have to... Uh, uh, it, you know, really look at what average everyday people are seeing. Not only did, are we seeing the revelations from yesterday, but we also, you know, more than half of the population had a constitutional right uh, of, uh, of abortion uh, ended in just the last week. And so just telling people to vote um, without an appropriate response to this kind of criminal and seditious behavior, it's just not enough. We have got to reestablish faith in the rule of law, the democratic norms. This is not okay. It isn't okay. And we as a country and as individual citizens are going to stand against that. We need to see uh, legal uh, action. We need to see it uh, sooner rather than later.
4: Let's bring in uh, Scott from Sausalito. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Scott, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Oh, hey, go ahead. You're on the air.
2: Yeah, yeah. Hey, I just wanted to point out
5: that, uh, you know, everybody also ignores when you put the whole picture together. He sat there for for hours after he sent, he knowingly sent an armed mob, told him to march down to the Capitol, and then did
2: nothing as everybody begged him to
5: do something. And I just have a question for the attorney. Why was Pat Cipollone so freaked
2: out about him going to the Capitol? He said, when he's literally telling, what charges were the, were, were, was he goes, we're going to be charged with every crime imaginable. So what, what is the difference in the fact that he didn't actually go personally down there and, yeah. and the fact that he sent other
5: people there? Yeah. I'd like to hear That's
4: that. A good, good question, Scott. Uh, just for um, Pat Cipollone, uh, White House counsel, um, I believe, and uh, I, I wanted to extend that question just a little bit to you, Anker, which is that what what picture really emerges? I mean, the other part of Hutchinson's testimony that we haven't really talked about is this picture emerges of a White House sort of paralyzed with Mark Meadows scrolling on his phone on the couch and uh, Trump locked away in his office watching the, the this occur on, on television and then this young aide getting, you know, fielding calls and trying to figure out, you know, what to do. Um, tell us a little bit about um, both that picture of the White House and and what you think it means, if anything, legally, and then um, specifically take that question of the, the White House counsel's concerns.
5: Okay, so what does it show us sort of like in the gestalt, if you will? It's a picture of a bunch of feckless morons, okay, uh, uh, running our government, utterly disturbing, okay? As for Cipollone's uh, um, commentary, what it reflects is a, pretty good lawyer who evidently accurately predicted what sorts of attention they would draw perhaps correctly right and again i'm just to be very clear i'm actually resisting the the urge to kind of render a decision if you will based on yesterday's hearing i'm kind of reserving judgment so people are going to be free to come down and and sort of take that picture sort of as your caller or excuse me yeah as your caller um sort of sketched it out i'm just reserving judgment. Yeah. I did want to add, though, like on the on one of the comments, so the person who wrote in to say that her, Cassidy Hutchins' opinion is like not evidence and it's um, uh, it wouldn't be allowed her to try or wouldn't be sort of a permissible evidence. That's not true. <laughs> I'm just, I just, there's a point of fact, it's not true. Federal rules of evidence, 701 and 704, actually would allow her to provide opinion testimony ju- like that. It's based on her interpretation of a key fact, based on her percipient testimony and comments she got from Trump herself. So like, I know everyone, you know, is, is doing their best to sort of deal with complex legal concepts, but I, I just wanted to correct that. It's not accurate. Fair
4: enough. Um, I want to get to uh, Susan in Alameda. Welcome, Susan.
6: Hi, thanks. Yeah, you know, I just feel like asking what should happen here, if Trump should be prosecuted, the answer seems to be a no-brainer, absolutely. But he is a man who has said he could shoot someone in the streets of New York and get away with it. And the response to the impeachment, the initial post uh, investigations, seems to corroborate him. It's very frustrating. I don't blame our Garland for being extremely reluctant
4: think we are losing you, Susan. I'm so sorry about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna go right to Joy in Sonoma. Joy?
1: Yes, hi. I am just wondering. I really don't know why Trump hasn't been arrested. Why hasn't this passport been confiscated? And what exactly is the legal procedure for this? I'm very confused about the legal procedure. Mm-hmm. If you could explain that to me, I would really be happy because I don't understand what the procedure is for doing this. Thanks.
4: Yeah. Thank you, Joy. Um, you know, I'm going to make sure we have one other uh, caller with an, uh, a similar question. Daniel in San Francisco, I just want to make sure that we answer your question too on this, on the procedures perhaps for, for going forward. Precisely. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm assuming that Merrick Garland does actually – Uh, make the choice to move forward with the prosecution of the president? How would the trial proceed, obviously, with the um, uh, impeachment? The Senate is the jury. How would a trial proceed? Who would sit in judgment of the president? Yeah. Thank you, Daniel. Um, Ankish I think this is another one for you. Okay, that's a lot. (laughs) A lot of very good questions. Okay. So
5: uh, under the law, Justice Department prosecutors can seek an indictment of someone uh, if they believe there's probable cause that that person committed a crime, that is a standard that a grand jury uh, undertakes when they review a proposed indictment based on facts that have been presented to them by, by prosecutors. The government does not actually, however, seek an indictment simply on the basis that they have probable cause. Uh, under Justice Department policy, the prosecutors have to conclude that it is likely that they will be able to obtain a conviction at trial based on the admissible evidence. So that is, and, and what does that mean, right? You're asking whether at trial you will be able to satisfy each and every element beyond a reasonable doubt of the relevant criminal offense. It's a high standard. Um, so that is sort of like the, the decision making architecture, if you will, behind authorizing an indictment and seeking indictment against anyone. Um, here we're talking about former President Trump. So obviously, this would get the highest, uh, most intense scrutiny imaginable, imaginable up to and including. Merrick Garland and his closest advisors in terms of like how a trial would actually unfold. uh, If we're one, if one were to be brought, um, you would expect if if Trump is charged for any of this, that it would be brought in the district of Columbia, which is where pretty much all of the relevant acts, at least those have been discussed so far occurred. Um, It would be um, not that different from any other criminal trial, to be honest, Mm -hmm. 12 jurors um, drawn from a jury pool that is, the district of Columbia, heavily democratic jurisdiction. um, And uh, you know, judge judge would screen for potential biases and potential conflicts, but it would be like anyone else, presumably a Mm -hmm. jury of regular Americans. Yeah.
1: I, I I just want to say, you know, um, to the earlier caller, I I just want to say to the the early caller, Susan, um, who was making the point about, look, this is a twice impeached president. He seems like he could do anything. Um, And I, And I think the legal process is very important for us to know and understand, and I appreciate that, but to understand that what these hearings are doing is building not only the moral case Uh, for acting, but also the political case, because it isn't just a legal question. There is a legal process, but we have to have the political will amongst people who currently sit in Congress, amongst those in the Justice Department, to go down this route. And what we need to do as average citizens is speak out clearly. This is what we want. We want action. We want action. Uh, the 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 legal response that's appropriate. And we want in no uncertain terms for our political system and people who are still in power to at all justify or normalize what we have seen from January 6th um, and for the actors. I also uh, think it's important that we not only look at the the case against Trump and his seditious and criminal behavior, but those who enabled him, including sitting members of Congress right now who uh, should be Uh, held accountable for their actions around January 6th, along with Trump.
4: Nicholas Wu, a reporter covering Congress uh, for Politico. You know, we did have congressional midterm uh, primaries in a a bunch of states. And I wonder, do, do you see, what do you see looking out at that national landscape for Republicans? Is supporting the president still surefire ticket to winning or are there some cracks in that?
2: It shows that there's a very nuanced way to support the president, even as some Republicans have uh, expressed criticism of him. Like, look at uh, what happened with the South Carolina primaries not too long ago. Congressman Tom Rice, right, who had voted to impeach Trump, uh, lost his bid for uh, renomination. Whereas uh, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, um, another Republican who had been critical of the president, did not vote to impeach him, and and she uh, won renomination. The same thing goes in last night's primaries uh, in Illinois. For example, um, there was one congressman uh, by the name of Rodney Davis, who was a uh, who, who for the past few cycles has. Um, been in a somewhat more purple district, and so you know he took uh, somewhat more moderate approaches to um, uh, deal making in Congress and to uh, uh, um, talking about the former president. But he got drawn into a um, uh, in, into a district with another sitting Republican lawmaker, uh, Mary Miller, uh, who tacked further to the right, uh, garnered Trump's endorsement, uh, had a rally in the district by the former president. Uh, Boosting her. And we saw Miller prevail over Davis last night. And so in some ways, we still see the long shadow of the former president over um, the Republican Party and these primaries. And the big test of this is really going to be um, in the coming months when Congresswoman Liz Cheney uh, faces her primary in Wyoming. Uh, obviously, she's t- taken on a very visible role on the January 6th committee as its top Republican. And Trump has gone all in on supporting a primary challenger to her. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how exactly that plays out. But that's sure to be very competitive.
4: You know, listener Art writes in with a question for Amy um, says, uh, thank you for saying we, the American people, should demand legal accountability for sedition by the president. What else can we, the public, do to reestablish democratic norms, as you are asking us to do? What organizations would you suggest we turn to for leadership on this? I'm going to tack on a tiny bit uh, to this. Are there Republicans that you can work with on the other side, what we used to call never Trump, right? Um, Or are most of the groups that you're working with, you know, really uh, democratic folks who are? who are working to, I guess, bring back these norms on their own?
1: Most of the group, thank you for that question, because most of the groups that she, the people work with are in uh, states like Georgia and Florida, North Carolina, and others. Uh, these are people that work on the ground, educating voters, registering voters, turning out voters around issues, uh, uh, you know, a, a range of uh, uh, issues that serve the community, and so um, when you look at those who are taking on the responsibility of establishing and strengthening democratic norms, it's, it's the everyday people. I think we've, we, part, part of the challenge that we face right now is that you know, we're citizens in this country. It is, it is, it's our government. And um, too much of the language has been like it's somebody else's fault or the responsibility lies with someone else. Uh, I think this is our time to uh, activate those in our circle. Um, you know, she the People is one of many organizations who are uh, committed to uh, establishing, reinvigorating, strengthening uh, our democracy, knowing that uh, this kind of, you know, having Trump and his cronies in office with their actions and what happened in this last year uh, cannot be part of a, uh, a peaceful, strong government. And we need that in order to serve the people. So I think it's a time for us to ask ourselves that question, ourselves and our, our communities about what we can do uh, personally. The last thing I will say is uh, what people say uh, and the narrative matters. Uh, so speak out and speak loud.
4: We've been talking about the latest news from the House committee hearings on the January 6th attack on the Capitol with Amy Allison, founder of She the People, an organization organization elevating the political voice of women of color. Thank you for joining us, Amy. We've also been joined by Nicholas Wu, a reporter covering Congress for Politico, and Ankush Kardori a lawyer based in Washington a contributing writer for New York Magazine's Intelligencer and a contributing editor at Political Magazine. I wanted to end with a comment. Gallego's tweets, the important fact is that Trump knew they had weapons. He knew they'd be able to walk to the Capitol even if they did not make it to the rally. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Thank you so much to our guests and all our listeners and commenters. Stay tuned for another hour ahead
0: with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio,